Hopefully a lot of y'all have your phone set to 10.02. It scares me still every time. I've, I've done it for a whole month. If you're, you haven't been with us before, we, a bunch of us set our phones for 10.02 a.m., at least in my case, that's how it works. Some of y'all might be p.m., but um, and we're just praying for workers for the harvest. We've been, that's, that sounds, I don't know if you haven't read the Bible much, what's workers for the harvest? Well, we, we've been praying that we would impact Lexington for 20 years now here at, Le- at Radius Lexington, and, uh, and we always are asking the Lord to send more workers for that work in this field. So it's workers for the harvest. Uh, next Sunday, we are going to sadly send a worker for the harvest who came here five plus years ago. We're going to send him to a different field. So if you want to be, we'd love for you to be here next week. We're going to send Russell off. It is not going to be a funeral, so don't come sad or wear black, right? Like we're going to celebrate because he's actually going, because we believe the Lord works through us in all parts of this world. So we're going to send him to a new mission field and send his family. We're going to have a little fun with it. He'll preach his last time here. If you want to be here next week, that should, it should be a really fun time. We're actually celebrating that we got five years of time with, with their family here. And then today, I get, I get kind of a fun announcement on the opposite side of that. Uh, about a year ago, uh, we hired Stevie over here, and really, I didn't know we were getting Kenzie as a bonus, but we, it turns out maybe we, Kenzie was who we should have hired. I'm not sure, really. I'm, 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 I'm a, well, we, we brought them in as residents, and if you guys don't know how this works at Radius, we hire residents for a year, and we kind of get to know them, and they get to know us, and it helps them sort out maybe what they should do next. And we, we determine at the end of the year what to do. So today I'm officially announcing that Stevie is going to be our student director for Radius Lexington. So he's a full-time staffer. Now y'all, y'all stand up real quick, folks, folks haven't met you yet. So just about all of you guys know them because they're everywhere, right? Like they have um, done a, just a terrific job. So we're really Excited to have him on our staff full time, and uh, I can't wait to see what God will do through the two of them with our students here at Radius. And we think 1002, when we think workers for the harvest, we don't just think uh, 55 year olds, right? Like there's some 16 year olds here at Radius that are workers in, in the harvest field, and we're, we're thrilled about their good work. And there's some out there that need to meet Jesus, and so glad to have these guys lead that charge. Um, looking forward to the next year. Let me pray for them, and uh, we'll jump into God's Word. Really, uh, really cool to watch how you work that out, Lord. Uh, Stevie and I met years ago. Most of these people don't know that, but you, uh, you kind of coordinated that, and then uh, it ended up with him flying down to check this out, and, and he and Kenzie getting married, all that stuff. Lord, you coordinated it all, brought them here. And we're really grateful. Pray that you would uh, continue to grow the two of them, uh, give them uh, great joy in their marriage, but most of all, Lord, give them great joy in you and uh, give them favor as they lead the students here at Lexington. Pray that you would uh, give them a great voice at the high schools here in this town and the middle schools. Pray that many would come to Christ and uh, those who know you would grow and take responsibility for their radius. So thank you for sending workers for the harvest, Lord. We're, we're praying that you're going to send more, so we ask for that just boldly as you at, t- t- teach us to. Uh, we trust you as we, uh, we work on our radius here in Jesus' name. Amen. 
you didn't know it, that's why we named this church Radius, because we felt like all of us, not just the church or the staff, but every one of us that knows Jesus has a responsibility for its radius. And you actually are the worker in that harvest field. So in your neighborhood, they're looking to you. You may not know it, but they're looking to you. You're the worker in that harvest field, and that's what we thought this could be. And thankfully, many of you guys, like, y- y'all kill it in your, uh, in your radius. We're going through the book of Hebrews. We're going to do that all summer. We uh, like to s- pick a summer series that will kind of work all the way through the summer. It gives, in July, we'll give all different folks an opportunity to preach a little bit. It's, it's a time where we run some of our young voices up, and so you'll get to hear a variety of young guys in July. And this, this book lays out, this chapter lays out well for us to do that. We're calling the series Real Faith in Real Lives. If you haven't seen our, our, our little logo we've been using for years, I don't know if it's a logo, it's a saying, real life, real faith. Well, this chapter in the Bible is about real faith, and then it uses illustrations of real lives. And so every Sunday we'll be, we'll be learning from a different character in the Bible. Let me read you a little bit. This is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is a letter in the New Testament. We don't know who the author is, so it's, it's anonymous. And yet it made the cut of the 27 books that are in the New Testament, and it was written Fairly obviously, if you see the title, to Jewish folks that believed in Jesus. Here's what he says in chapter 11, after a crazy chapter 10. I I really don't have time to spend. He's given a definition of faith. We spent a little time on this last week. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. My favorite definitions, there's one simple word which really doesn't sum this up, but would say that those with faith can taste the reality of what they believe in. I, I, I just like using that sense. I kind of like to eat, so I, I like to taste stuff, right? Like I, I got another Snickers Blast this week, which was awesome, and I got to enjoy another one. So anybody wants to bring me one this week, like, it's probably not helping my workout plan. But nonetheless, like, like there's this taste, this enjoyment that goes along with faith. It's a, it's a great way to think about actually tasting what you can't see. Verse 2, through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. We spent a little time on that, just a brief minute last week. That's what we're going to do every Sunday for the whole summer. We're going to look at a person who God commended or gave a good reputation for their, not only for their faith, but for how their feet moved because of faith, and perhaps you connect it to a lot of guys that I've read like to use the word commended by God, but they would go, that's even soft. I, I can remember uh, summer camp days. By the way, we got summer camp coming up for all the Radius students, middle school and high school. So if you want to get in on it, get in on it. You, you're running out of time. So get in on it. It should be a great week. But that was huge for parents. That was huge for my development. Mine and Cheryl's going to camp, spending some time with some other kids and learning the Bible. And one of the years I was at camp, there was, a, there was a director. His name was Mr. George which is the weird part about camp, and we called everybody by their first name, Mr. George. And at the end of the week, some of y'all aren't this old, and some of y'all are older. You remember when the Baby Ruth bar came out? That's pretty old. I remember when it came out. It was awesome. I wanted as many Baby Ruths as I could possibly have. And at the end of the week, it was Friday, he gave a Baby Ruth Award. And he called me up for the Baby Ruth Award. The Baby Ruth Award, like, it exemplified, I don't remember his long story, but he, he, he just gave me a Baby Ruth bar right in front of the whole, 
in front of the whole camp as a camper, and I, I, I felt commended. I felt Mr. George, who I respected, and I thought he's kind of the greatest, he said, he said that I was worthy of the Baby Ruth Award, and it just, it just kind of made me feel like I kind of walked with a little bit more swagger, right? Like walk around camp with a little swagger based on his commendation. Well, this, this is actually saying about followers of God in the Old Testament, followers of Jesus today, that God would commend us. Give us the baby Ruth bar, if, if you would, based on us following his plan. I think that's what Mr. George liked. I mean, he was running this plan at camp, and I was all in for the plan. Whatever the plan was, I was in. And God commends folks for following his plan. Now, now a variety of Folks kind of use that word commended by God when they read that line. It says the people in days of old earned a good reputation. A good reputation with who? God. Not with people. With God. It's probably stronger still than that. If you go back to the original language, you kind of get this feeling that God bears witness for that individual in their faith. So you can imagine being on trial, in court, down the road here at, at the uh, courthouse, and you're sitting there and you come in feeling a little not so confident when you walk in, and then your lawyer calls a witness, and the witness is God. And God commends you in front of the judge. What's going to happen? you innocent, baby, because God just commended you. The judge works for God. There's this commentation, there's this commentation where it says that God actually bore witness. He testifies on our behalf. That's nuts. It's crazy to think about God handing you a baby Ruth bar or testifying on your behalf. Check out verse 3. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we now see did not come from anything that, we can, that can be seen. Did, did you hear what I just said? So we believe in creation by faith. That's what it just said. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth by faith. I love that. Like, we just straight out saying it. The Bible just straight out says it. Like, we believe in creation. How? By the facts. No, we, we believe by faith. Can we argue for it with an apologetic and lots of evidences and line up the scientific arguments? Yes, we can. There's some great Christian scientists that argue for creation. But how do we have to believe that God created everything? By faith. We kind of get made fun of it, obviously. But it's interesting when you think about the other option that uh, this place just evolved. That it, that it came from nothing to what it is today. The, the several hundred of us sitting in the room, all, all, all of our skin and our, all of these parts of us working well, we're breathing, all that just happened. Guess what that is? You have to believe that by faith also. People like to put science on it. But even when I was in the seventh grade and I was being taught this, they were teaching the Big Bang Theory. I said, yeah, but where did the stuff come from that started the bang? I know the teacher was mad at me, but I was like, I just don't, I need to know where the bang started. <laughs> I don't know how the bang happened. What? <laughs> that sounds like faith to me, baby. You don't know it, I don't know. The Bible says by faith, I believe it was created. And you say by science it was created, but you don't know how it all started. So like it's these two faith systems. And you choose 
which one you believe. And for those of us that believe in creation, we actually have this, what, this, ta- we can almost taste it. You go to the ocean, you look out, you're like, oh, there ain't no way that just happened. You can taste it. But I, I probably didn't know until the last 10 years what a massive deal that was for all of my thinking. Because if he's the creator, and I believe that by faith, then that affects how everything on the planet runs and under whose authority all of the activity goes. When we talk about sexuality, talk about sexuality, we go back to the creator and we go, how did the creator create us to operate sexually? Right? Our whole world is pushing back against that by faith. Right? By faith, they are arguing that we just came up out of nothing. And you have to argue for evolution if you want to argue for other sexual experiences. Right? It's a massive conversation. We don't have time to get in today. But sex and marriage, we'll get into it in the fall. We're going to do a little series. It'll it'll be called Born This Way. And uh, we'll take about six weeks to talk about it because... As you know, this is permeating our society. And for us as believers, those of you who know Jesus, our children are pretty confused about it. There's a lot being touched. So we just need to talk about it based on him being the creator. Then how are things supposed to work? Verse 4, which is where we're supposed to be today. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. He commended him. He gave him a baby Ruth bar. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. All right, so I read this story this week, and I want to do a poll. You need to understand something about radius. This isn't like a trivial trivia game. Like, if you win the trivia game, does not mean you're approved by God. I ain't giving you a baby Ruth for for winning the trivia game. Here's what I need to know. So, like... Who of you in the room would say, yeah, I know the story of Cain and Abel, like, I know the whole story. And who of you are like, oh, this is brand new to me, or I can kind of remember hearing about this at some point, but I really don't know. So I, first of all, who would say, like, I know it inside and out, Cain and Abel? See, I had a feeling I'd have low participation if I did this. Nobody raised their hand, because we just kind of a shy bunch on stuff like this, because you're afraid I'm going to ask you a question if, I say, if you say, yeah, I know it inside and out, right? Y'all smart that way. So, so who, who y'all would say like five or out of ten, I'm a five or less on the story of Cain and Abel? All right, and see, y'all are afraid I'm going to ask a question on that side, so y'all don't raise your hand either. I was guessing it might be about 50-50. This is, a, uh, this is a story in the Bible that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. And so here we are. Jesus has already died, been buried, and Uh, risen from the grave and ascended into heaven. And this writer of Hebrews is referring back to this story that happened thousands of years before Christ. If you were a Jewish kid, this is written to the Hebrews, right? You would know this story. Like in their culture, this story is repeated over and over and over. For some of y'all that grew up in a Sunday school class, you probably heard it. Like, so you at least have some memory of it. But those of y'all that haven't been to church much, this is not a story we talk about a ton. However, it gets referenced in some odd ways at occasion, on occasion. When I was a kid, uh, they told this story in Sunday school. We had these things called flannel graph. Flannel graph makes your phone look like lightweight, baby. Flannel graph, man. Like, and I can still remember seeing Cain with like some huge pumpkins with him, right? Like a huge pumpkin and, 
and a watermelon, and then you got, you got Abel over here with a bunch of sheep. So you got, the story is about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were born to Adam and Eve, who were the very first people. If you believe in creation, we believe that they were person number one and number two, right? And so eventually the Bible actually says that Eve, at pregnant, she gave birth and she gave glory to God. I don't know many people, I've heard some words about God after birth, but like, like she gave glory to God that she was able to give birth. It's the very first birth, the very first human. Gives birth to Cain, and we, we pick up the story in chapter 4. The two of them are going to bring an offering to God, which is, is interesting even as you, if, you, if you read Genesis and you're kind of moving through the flow. The two, these two brothers are eventually, they came up in the same house, same DNA, right? Um, one of them ends up being a farmer, and one of them ends up being a shepherd. So they're regular folks. In that society, those are two things you do. You either farm the ground or you raise some animals. That's how you live. That's, that's work. And then they both are religious. They both decide to come worship God. And when you read it in Genesis 4, it seems like they chose to do it. They weren't forced to do it. And they brought him an offering. And then this verse 4 in Hebrews kind of it compares the two of them, which might make some of you a little uncomfortable, but the Bible does that a ton, right? He does it with Mary and Martha. Jesus does it in the New Testament when, when we tell the story of Mary and Martha, two great ladies, and, but they're compared based on their, the way they react to Jesus. He does it with that story that he tells, Jesus tells, of the prodigal son and the elder brother, and, and the prodigal son looks like the knucklehead until he's humble and comes back to the father, and the elder son ends up being arrogant. There's this comparison. What's he trying to do when he compares two people? Like, is, it, is he trying to throw somebody under the bus? He's trying to get to your heart. Oftentimes, when you read about the prodigal son and the elder brother, you go, which one am I? Right? When you read Mary and Martha, which one am I? In the Old Testament, you got Esau and Jacob. You got the story of two twins. Like, they're twins. Like, and he, he sets them apart. Which one are you? There are many, many stories. One of the really interesting ones in, in, in the judges is Deborah and Barak. There's this, this leadership, both good folks. But Barak's not really willing to step up, and so Deborah does. And, like, God compares them in that passage. In this passage, he compares... Cain and Abel. So by the end of the, the morning, you probably ought to be asking, am I Cain or Abel? It's interesting as you read through the passage, there's these words that kind of make you uncomfortable because it feels a little unfair. It feels like, is this fair for God to be comparing them like this? Is this fair the way God interacted with Cain and punished Cain? Like, is, is all that fair? Let me just say this real quick. Fair argues for faith. If there's no creator, then there's no fair. All the arguing about what's fair, you can't have a fair argument without creation, without a God that created. Because if it just all happened, then fair don't matter. Let the strong survive and, and dominate the earth. Sidebar. Check out this, this line. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God. That bother anybody? They both brought offerings, but God accepted Abel's, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, he rejects Cain's. They both brought offerings to God, he accepts one, he rejects the other. 
I don't know, I've been stewing all that, on this all week. That is, uh, that's a tough pill to, qu- uh, to swallow until you really like, are willing to look in the mirror and then you go, man, am I Cain or Abel? Oh, y'all showed up this morning. It's kind of like an offering. You, you made your time available. You brought, you're here to listen, to, to sing. But the question is, how did you show up? And how are you going to stay for the next 45 minutes? It seems like as we read through this list in Acts, all of them are going to start with this statement of by faith um, that this taste that they had moved their feet to action. They did something based on this belief that was driven from their insides. And so in this passage, he, the, the writer just compares it to, he says, Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. So his offering, his worship, gave evidence in many ways that he was right, that what he believed was right, even though he couldn't see it. And God showed his approval of the gifts. He commended them for the gifts. It says Abel's offering qualified him as righteous, and God approved him because of righteousness. So what about me and you? Very interesting to me in a nation that's incredibly divided. The things that we divide over um, and then stay together are are not the things that God divides. You You think God is dividing us based on our politics and picking one side or the other? No. He's evaluating all of us based on our heart for him. You think God divides over race? Do you think race has this, this, this high value? No, he's dividing anybody over race or, or a nation of origin or any of those things. Absolutely not. He's dividing us based on our hearts. And in this passage, specifically, dividing us based on our heart for worship. That's how he separates us. And he, he doesn't want to reject anybody. It's just folks in, in both camps politically and folks in all camps uh, nationally and, and folks in all camps racially, like folks reject him and folks accept him. And he, he actually is basing his rejection based on your rejection. You're going to say that real specifically in some of these verses. In a nation that is so divided, the church ought to be the place where we're absolutely unified because the church understands at least she should, that nothing she can do qualifies her to be in relationship with God. The only thing we could possibly do is have faith that he could make us right with himself. People read this passage, uh, and they kind of have three takes on it. All three I get biblically. Um, the third one would be the way I lean. So let me, let me give you all three. It's kind of the way I like to teach the Bible. The first is that they believe that Abel brought a better sacrifice because his sacrifice included blood. Right? Anybody heard this growing up? Or, or maybe when you've heard of Cain and Abel, realize that, that Abel showed up with some sheep, and he had slaughtered them, and so there was blood. And so his, his sacrifice was acceptable because blood was there, and Cain brought big pumpkins and watermelons and stuff like that. There was no blood. 
So it wasn't, there's an assumption there, which is not in the passage, that they both had been trained that they needed to sacrifice blood. You, you could kind of prove that if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sit, sin, and what happens right after God calls them out for their sin? What do they do? They jump behind a tree, right? They jump behind a tree because they're naked. They're, they're naked and ashamed. And so they hide. All of a sudden, they're hiding. They never hid before. They were comfortable before God before and before the whole world, walking around butt naked, right? Like they were totally comfortable. And now they're not comfortable. Like they're ashamed. So they jump. And what does God do? He, he improves their situation. No longer do they have to wear leaves. Like he, he actually kills an animal and clothes them with the clothes. So there's, that's the first blood spilled. Man, you can go through the Bible, and it goes on for days about blood. You get, to, you get to Abraham, and you see him ready to sacrifice. A crazy story I won't get into. You see Noah after he survives the flood. He, he offers a sacrifice to God. He actually reserves some clean animals. It's a sacrifice by the end of that. That's way before we even get to Exodus where the Passover is established, and there's these sacrifices, these blood sacrifices that are required by the law by God. Blood goes from all the way from the beginning to the end of the Bible. So that's, that's kind of how they get it. They would say that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because there was blood. However, when you read Hebrews, even when you read Genesis chapter 4, it's really hard. They don't say nothing about blood. They don't say a word about it. So I, I, like, I see how you get there. I just don't think that's what he's teaching here. The second argument, why is Abel's offering a better sacrifice? I mean, it matters because you and I are sitting in here before God claiming to worship. wonder what he thinks. Well, some folks would say, man, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain comes with some of his crops is how the passage reads. And Abel comes with the best portions from the firstborn of the sheep. So he brings, he's been planning this thing. He, he's marked the firstborn sheep, and he's taken the very best of the firstborn sheep. He brings his first and his best to God. Cain goes out, picks up a watermelon pumpkin. It don't really matter how big they are, and he puts them up on his arm, and he brings them to God. That, that's how they would read that passage. They would say it's because he, they bring the first and the best. That's that's a thought worth considering. I, I had to, as I, I stood on that this week, am I bringing the, my first and my best? Would the world around me, would my neighbors, would they say, say that I bring my first and my best to God? Like, could you tell that my life is oriented around God and my relationship with Jesus? If you didn't know I was a pastor, you, like you assume I'm getting paid to act that way, right? Like, if you just knew me, did, would you assume that my life orients around Christ? I thought... There's all kinds of illustrations of asking that question. One of the great ones was when we were raising all these crazy little kids, and nap time comes, and I'm at work, and Cheryl finally gets an hour and a half of silence. I think they had nap time until they were like 14, because we're like, like Cheryl's like, I'm, I'm keeping my hour and a half, right? Like, y'all go to the room. <laughs> and one day she goes, I really feel like I need to give my hour and a half to God. I was like, gold to her, right? Like, mom's in the room, young mom's, like, it's gold that hour and a half. Please don't wake up. Please, nobody, nobody making noise. If a tractor pulls up and puts the reverse sign on you going out hollering at them, get out of here, you're going to wake up my kids, right? Because that hour and a half is gold. So it was like this. That was her first and her best, right? That was her first and her best. Some folks would argue that we should ought to have time early in the morning because it's the first part of the day. 
I would argue for myself, that's the first part of my day, but it's not the best part of my day, right? Because I'm barely awake. So I, I'll wait till a little later when I'm conscious. Some of y'all got to have your coffee to give God your first. I'm not exactly how he, he evaluates that, but there's, there's this question of like, is my time, am I oriented around God? You can look at your resources that way. <laughs> like, is the first and my best, I was just examining ours. Am I, are we acting like this? Are we acting like that with our first best? I, I felt okay about, but first? There's something about giving before I pay the bills that is scary. I, let's make sure we can get the bills paid first, right? That sounds like faith to me. Like, let, me let me be generous even before I pay the bills. That scare anybody? It got quiet. It must, like, it got, must have got a little scary. Like, like, it was really good for me to go back and go, man, whether it's 9% or 11% or 18 or 7%, like, the percentage is not what I'm talking about. Is it first? And then there's the question, is it my best? I thought that was a really fair question when you read the passage, particularly if you go back to Genesis chapter 4. That's a fair question to ask, and it was healthy for me to, to stew on. So I'll give you both of those, blood, first and best. Those are all good for those of us that know Jesus, all good for us to think about. But why blood and why first and best? Like, Why? Did we do those things? When I read the passage, I can't get away from the definition of faith at the beginning and then at the beginning of every one of these case studies. Cain's our first case study. He says it was by faith that Abel. So I'm not sure that it was connected to uh, the blood of the sheep or to the fact that they were first and best, but to Abel's heart as he prepared those sheep. I really wonder if Cain had showed up with his heart right for God, which I think would have made him want to go find the biggest pumpkin in the pumpkin patch, right? The biggest watermelon, the best grapefruit. I think that would have made him want to go the, get the first and best because his heart, like his, his work, his, not, not just when he showed up to worship, but all the time as he's working the field, he's thinking about God. In the moment when I interact with God, I want to bring him my first and best. If he was taught about blood, then you would assume Cain would have gone and traded some, some vegetables for, for one of Abel's lamb. It would have took great humility for him to do that. We don't know that. The scripture doesn't say that, but it does say that Abel worshipped by faith. It's as if he anticipated this commendation that we talked about by God. I can still remember Mr. George and being just enamored with who he was as a man. I wanted his commendation, so I ran his plan because I wanted to be like Mr. George. And that seems to be what Abel's doing. Abel seems to be raising these sheep. He's marking the ones that are born first. He can't, it feels like he's got this joy about when he interacts with God, so his job is worship, right? Like well, he's, he's a shepherd, he's outside. His job is worship, and so when he actually interacts with God, when he brings his offering, he brings his first and his best. He's been looking forward to this moment, so he brings it before the Lord. And he said, I mean, it's, you, you can't imagine him doing it without a smile, even though it's painful. He spent all this time with these with the firstborn of the sheep, and, and he, so it, it's got some sacrifice to it. 
It was really good for me to read this story and look at my heart and my heart for worship. Something I've been working on the whole month of May. I've been asking the Lord to help my heart of worship. I've been reading the Psalms, trying to restore a heart for who God is. It's it's, it's weird how over time cynicism slides in a little bit or laziness slides in a little bit or or uh, I don't even know really how that thing slips, but it really felt like it needed to be repaired. And I would just encourage you today, hey, if you're going, man, there was a time when I was able and I was excited about worshiping God and I had my life aligned with him, but it ain't now. Then ask him. Ask him to help you come back to there. It's really interesting. Uh, This passage has crazy finish to it. It's just one little verse. It says, although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So some of y'all don't know the story. So Cain and Abel bring this sacrifice, this offering to God. Abel brings his sheep and Cain brings his fruit and vegetables. And God rejects Cain's and he accepts Abel's. And then what happens? God has this conversation with Cain. He's like, uh, you, you didn't do what was right, and so I rejected your offering. He explains it to him. And what, anybody remember what Cain does? He gets depressed. He goes, like some folks would say, he went into depression. He gets angry and depressed. And for some of you who don't know the story, the story is shocking. Uh, he gets so down on his worship being rejected that he begins to hate Abel not because Abel did anything, but he just hates Abel because he's righteous, because he was accepted. If you know the story, it ends horribly. Cain invites Abel out into the field. I always wonder which field it was. Was it the field where the sheep were, or was it the field where all the vegetables were? I wonder what fields it was. Then Cain uh, ambushes him in the field, kills his own brother. It's a horrible story. You can read the whole chapter in chapter 4 of Genesis, and God still deals with Cain after that horrible event. It seems as if Cain is offended that God is offended by his worship. In other words, Cain wants to worship on his own terms. He wants God to say what he's doing is worship. So he's forcing that on the creator, on the one who designed him. And yet the scripture says, Abel, even though he only lived a little while longer after that season of worship, both by work and by his sacrifice, it says it still speaks of his example of faith. So Abel, even though he's dead, Cain wanted to silence the righteousness in Abel. And yet Abel still speaks. Man, it's it's a uh, really good moment this morning asking ourselves, is my offering about me? Or is it about God? Man, I've heard some crazy stuff in the last little bit. I've heard some young guys explaining to me why smoking weed was godly. I mean, it, it, was, it was this long uh, conversation and, and um, the, uh, like the fervor of their argument. I'm like, dang, bro, you even read a little bit about this. And, and, and they're all, but they're just like, <laughs> it was all about them and what they wanted. It really didn't seem to be much about God. 
It, it seemed to be all about them. And I've heard other people boycotting ta- Target. They're so excited about boycotting, boycotting Target. That they, it's like that they're more excited about our country than they are about God. You got like, that's left and right, right? Like just energized by anger and frustration because we're not getting what we want. Hey, man, you can argue all day for me why is, there's problems in our country. We can have that discussion, but, but just don't connect it to your worship. Because all of a sudden, like we're actually taking to God something on our terms and telling him he must accept it. And when he doesn't accept it, we are offended by the living God. It's time to really look hard in the mirror and see if the way I'm moving my feet and my mind are directed by God or by somebody else or something else or some, some other ideal. I'll read you one last passage. First John says it like this. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Strong statement for me and you who believe in Jesus. We should not be <laughs> We should not be surprised if the world wants to silence us. I would argue the left and the right want to silence us. They wanted to silence Jesus, right? The Herodians were the left. The Pharisees were the right. They both wanted him dead because they wanted control. What's your worship like? We end with uh, Jesus is the better able, right? Jesus, if blood is the bottom line of this story, then Jesus offered his blood on the cross. We literally pull out these cups and hold them and remember that blood was spilled for, on our behalf and that we've been made righteous by the cross, Jesus' blood. First and best, what you talking about? What do you think John 3.16 is all about? For God so loved the world that he gave King James his only begotten, his first and his best. He gave his first and his best to redeem you after the fall. To save my soul, he gave his first and his best. And why? God doesn't need to have faith, right? God knows who he is. Why does John 3.16 say he did that? Why did he spill his son's blood? Why did he offer his son as a sacrifice? For God so loved the world. Me and you, when we get ready to worship here in just a second, we're worshiping because we were loved. We worship because that blood was spilled on our behalf and because God offered his first and his best and we now belong to him. So as you worship, do it with me. Like examine. Examine honestly. Like hold it out before God and just go, man. Is my heart right with you, God? If your worship feels a little stale, just tell him. My worship feels stale. Some of y'all are still m- mad that I mentioned Target. Lord God, he mentioned Target. I'm still mad. I'm sorry. I, I, I just got it in the center of my mind. I can't get it out. Some of y'all mad because I mentioned weeds. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, we know who you are, right? Like, like, like just go, man, why, why is that such a big deal? Why can't I go to a party and have fun without that? What's wrong with me? Just ask, just 
Ask him. Put it right before him. See what he says. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for establishing faith in many of our hearts. We're so glad that we can worship you though we can't see you. And you know us, Lord. We're distracted. It's so easy for us to get caught up in something else and lose our way. I lose our joy, really, Lord. We forget that wonderful taste that is in our mouth that was originated when we met you, when we believed for the first time. Stir that up in us again, even in these minutes, Lord. I'm going to celebrate for all of us, Lord. We are thank you, Jesus, that you spilled your blood on the cross. We are thankful to you, Father, that you gave your only son on our behalf. And we call you so generous. We're shocked we can't even really process why you love us. Because all of us needed a sacrifice. And uh, you were willing to make the sacrifice just out of your deep love. So thank you. Thank you for that. Help us, Lord. We, we try to process that. Some of us have been hearing it for years. Some of us are brand new to it. Bring it to life for all of us here in these few minutes as we, we sing these songs. In Jesus' name, amen.